Welcome to the Tove Podcast. My name's Levi Hazen. I have the privilege of being your host for today, as well as serving as the Executive Director of Life and Messiah International. For over 135 years, God has worked through the staff of Life and Messiah to bring the gospel message to Jewish communities all over the globe and equip the church to do the same. You can learn more about the work that God's doing through our staff by visiting us on the web at lifeinmessiah.org. Well, I'm actually coming to you today from our Brooklyn, New York ministry field. Some people call Brooklyn the second holy land. And part of the reason for that is because there's actually more Jewish people in Brooklyn than there are in Jerusalem. And I meet a lot of people as I uh, speak in churches and at small groups that are shocked to hear that, but it really is true. And others have said that if, if Brooklyn were a little island out in the ocean, uh, the church would have been sending people to reach them with the gospel for decades now. But because they're sandwiched between all the different neighborhoods that make up New York City, they're largely left untouched. But for us at Life and Messiah, that's a problem. And we want to change that so that Jewish people, whether they're in Brooklyn or Queens or Manhattan or Long Island or somewhere else, are hearing the gospel in a loving, sensitive, and yet truthful way. And so we have staff here, as do other Jewish ministries, and I know that there are a number of churches in New York City who have a heart for the Jewish people. And I'm here with Life and Messiah staff member Peter, and Peter has been serving on our Brooklyn field for over a decade now. Peter, welcome to the Tove Podcast. Thank you, Levi. And uh, yeah, it's good to have you. And I know that our listeners are going to immediately hear an accent in your voice right away. Yeah, I'll Why? do my best to hide it. No, you don't have to hide it. But just where is that accent from? Where do you come from, Peter? Uh, from the Netherlands originally. From the Netherlands. Now, there's a big connection between the Netherlands and New York, isn't there? Oh, yeah, there is. Like one of my favorite jokes is to say, I came back here to reclaim our heritage because <laughs> we founded the place. Yes, indeed. It was called New Amsterdam. Uh, a few hundred years ago, right? It was, yes. And it was founded by the Dutch. What is your desire for the Jewish community of New York City? Most of all, uh, that they will get to know their Messiah. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, religious zeal. Um, people are devoted. But it feels like such a tragedy to me. They really miss the atonement that God provided through His Son. And did you grow up in a Jewish community yourself in the Netherlands? How did you come by your heart for the Jewish people and the desire to share with them the gospel? Um, I didn't grow up in a, in a Jewish community in the Netherlands. There's not too many Jewish people in the Netherlands anymore, unfortunately. Many of them were murdered during the Second World War. But I grew up in, uh, in a family where there always was a love and an interest in Israel mm -hmm. and the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And when I was a student, I went uh, as a backpacker to, to Israel, actually, and then my love for the Jewish people grew. Wow. Something that uh, I wanted to talk to you about that I think our listeners might find very interesting was, is, is a character, we might say. Uh, he's no longer with us, but his name is um, Menachem Schneerson. He is also known as the Rebbe. Mm -hmm. And he's quite a popular figure, especially here in Brooklyn, amongst certain sects. Yes. And I know that uh, you have a lot of interactions with, uh, with a range of different Jewish people, um, 
yes. here in New York City as well as other places. And I'm wondering if you can help us just understand a little bit. Let's, let's just assume we know nothing about this rabbi, mm-hmm. Menachem Schneerson. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us who he was, just the basics, and what it is that some people believe about him? Menachem Schneerson, or the Rebbe, as he would be referred to, was the seventh uh, Rebbe uh, of the Lubavitcher Hasidim. So that, that asks some more explanation, of course. First of all, what are Hasidim? And then what are <laughs> Lubavitcher Hasidim, also known as, uh, as Chabad? Yeah, so let's just take each one of those. What are Hasidim? A basic explanation. If, if someone hears the word Hasid or Hasidim, what do we mean by that? Yeah. Um, it is a, a movement within uh, Judaism, which started in the 18th century as a bit of a charismatic movement, you mm. could even say. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started with a, a, a legendary person called the Baal Shem Tov, which was said to be a, a, a miracle worker. Did what this movement did, it popularized Jewish mysticism among the Jewish masses and really inspired them. And it really took over large segments of Orthodox Judaism. There was opposition to it also, but... If I understand correctly, the Hasidim place a huge emphasis on mysticism. Yes. Okay. Yes. I think a lot of our listeners would be surprised to find that out. I think when we oftentimes think about the Orthodox, the guys in black hats and wearing black coats and so forth, I think especially the Gentile understanding of our religious Jewish friends, is that they're simply studying the Bible or the Talmud all day long. Yeah, they will, they will study the Bible also, especially the Torah, but not the way we do it. Mm. What do you the, mean by that? Un- the Torah is the books of Moses, <clears throat> the five books of Moses. But what they will stu- what, what the, in general, Orthodox Jewish, study, uh, Jewish people uh, study much more is the Talmud. Um, that's like the most foundational uh, writings of uh, of Orthodox Judaism, mm-hmm. of Rabbinic Judaism, and that's in actuality studied much more uh, than the Bible. Now, among the Hasidim, like I mean, there's different emphasis also. There's different groups. They also have other uh, books which they really consider holy, especially for the Chabad group, which is a subgroup uh, within the Hasidim. There is like also. Uh, a book that's really important for them that's called the Tanya, which is written by the founder of the Has, uh, the Chabad Hasidic okay. sect. Hmm. Uh, well, they would really study that a lot, actually, also in their yeah. uh, in their yeshivas. I've seen actually Chabad Hasids who had one big tome which contained the books of Moses, the Psalms, and then the Tanya, this Hasidic work, which mm. shows like how important it, yeah. it is for them. Like almost like as if we would have like a Bible with all the New Testament, they had had that together. There's the Hasidim and within the Hasidim there are a lot of different sects within them. And for yes. listeners of the Tove podcast who have been around at least for the last few months, uh, they might remember my uh, several part conversation with Jacob Gluck. Uh, we're good friends with Jacob. And he graciously came on the Tove podcast and talked about his background in the Satmar community. Yes. And so already there's a difference between Satmar and there's a difference between Chabad. And we could keep naming the different sects. Yes. But those are all considered Hasidim. Yes. Okay. I think that's 
that's important for people to understand. And we could probably talk about the different sects and the different ways to do things until next year. What happened after this guy, the Baal Shem Tov, with whom uh, Hasidism started, you got then like a disciple of his who was really important within this uh, beginning Hasidic movement called the uh, Magid of Metzerich. Um, and after him, like the, you got different disciples of, of that guy who, of that I, I, maybe it's really irreverent if I say that guy for Hasids to say because they consider these people as really holy, uh, holy men. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, his disciples it, it became like leaders of different groups all over Eastern Europe. So you got dynasties of different holy men or what, as they would call them, tzaddikim or righteous people. And they were the leaders of these different Hasidic uh, communities. And one of them one of those special leaders uh, was uh, Snur Zalman of Liadi, with which the Chabad movement started. Okay. And the Satmar Hasidim uh, is, an, is a different dynasty, which actually was from Hungary. A, a lot of the sects take their names from the towns they came from in Europe. Exactly. And, and that's the case with the Lubavitchers? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there was a town in... Lubavitch. Lubavitch, and that was in Belarus? That was in Lubavitch, yeah. Okay, and so that's why they're called the Lubavitchers. Yeah. Very good. Well, that gives us just a basic understanding about the Hasidim, and then specifically within the movement, within the people of the Hasidim, you have the Lubavitcher movement. Now, we also mentioned another word which would be good to know, and that's Chabad. Mm-hmm. Where do we keep going down the funnel here? We're narrowing, 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 or is um, how do we define Chabad in comparison to the Lubavitchers? Lubavitch and Chabad, it's the same. It's the same. The same. It's just different names for the same uh, group. Okay, good yeah. to know. So um, we may use those interchangeably. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's actually an acronym, Chabad. Okay. Uh, of Chochma Bina Daat of wisdom, uh, understanding, and knowledge. Okay which actually are, again, Kabbalistic terms. Okay. Now, let's get to the individual, Menachem Schneerson. Chabad was started long before Mr. Schneerson was even yeah. around. Yeah, started in the 18th century. Started in the 18th century. So what's the deal with the Rebbe? What's the deal with Menachem Schneerson? Why might somebody see his face on a poster in Israel? Why might somebody see him right here in New York City? And these signs oftentimes says Messiah is coming or Messiah now or something like that. Yeah, or Messiah is here. Even. Messiah is here. Okay. So is it is it that everyone in Chabad believes that he's the Messiah? Not everyone within the Chabad movement. Although some of them, if you would ask them, they would say, yeah, they all believe it. Uh, but some just don't want to say it. <laughs> um, but all of them will regard him very, very highly. Okay. So to understand it, you have to go back to like the understanding of what a tzaddik is or a righteous person, those special leaders within the Hasidic movement who okay. had these different courts all over uh, over Eastern Europe. Right. So a tzaddik yeah. is, means righteous. That's yes. the Hebrew term for yeah. righteous. Yes. So our Jewish friends will often call, oftentimes call somebody, oh, you're a, you're a tzaddik. Like, yeah. 
you're a righteous guy. Okay. But then it's just a nice compliment when they say that. Right. They don't mean you're a Hasidic leader or something. <laughs> right. Okay. So to, he, he was like the seventh in a dynasty of these, uh, these tzaddikim. Okay. Um, he actually is a descendant also of the founder of the Chabad uh, movement, Schnur uh, Zalman of Liadi, who okay. wrote that, that book which I talked about, the Tanya. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why Schnur, Schnur's son, son of Schnur. Okay. You know, okay. so uh, he was not a son of the sixth uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe, but he was his son-in-law. But he also, through another line, descended also from the original uh, founder. And the sixth uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe didn't have children, so... And so he was the last in this dynasty. Yeah, and had no children. And he had no children. Okay, yeah. so um, did he ever claim to be the Messiah? There's debate about that among the people who follow him. Mm. And espe- like the those who believe he is the Messiah would say, yeah, he hinted at it at least. He hinted at it, okay. Yeah. So, but you know, if to understand two things, like first of all, there is this concept of the tzaddik, which is seen as a really special person, like an intermediary between God and man. That's, you have that concept within Hasidism. Like really the idea is to you cleave to this righteous, holy man, and that's a way of cleaving, uh, being attached to God. Okay. It, it's, actually, this is, it's actually a whole mystical idea behind that in the end you, you really reunite with God even. This idea is in place. There is a quote in the Talmud which says that everybody who attaches himself to a Torah scholar attaches himself to the divine presence. Wow. Well, and that idea is transferred also to these holy men within Hasidism. So you really have to understand that that's in place already. Okay. Also, there's uh, another idea that's in place um, already is the idea that within uh, every generation there is a possible Messiah. And when also and and here's here's more still like uh, this is something that goes back even to uh, Maimonides or the Rambam uh, that there uh, that you can talk about somebody to be a presumed or potential Messiah when he does certain things it's okay it starts to look like he is the Messiah and then but there's like certain things the Messiah has to do then you can really say he's the actual Messiah so that's also an idea uh, that's in place. So it's already quite natural for Hasidim to start thinking, like, if somebody is the Messiah, it should be one of those uh, tzaddikim. Mm, so that's something you have to understand that to be in place already. Like, how, how, did, how did it get there? Yeah. Um, to It's not coming out of the blue that people start thinking he is the right. Messiah. Right. There was already a culture in which people were looking. There was already a belief that attaching myself to a holy person afforded me maybe greater access to God, yeah. uh, proximity to God. I could be closer to him. Yeah. That was already there. Yes. And so Schneerson comes into this situation. He's the last in his dynasty, and he doesn't deny being the Messiah, Yeah. even if he didn't explicitly say it. Yeah. Uh, I think we could probably say that he certainly allowed others to believe that about himself. At times, he would kind of quench this fire a bit. Mm. Uh, but not enough, apparently. Sneerson is also inheriting something from his predecessor, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, who lived um, 
uh, during the First World War and the Second World War. Mm. Also at a time when there's a lot of uh, apostasy from Orthodox Judaism. That's how they would see it. Like a lot of uh, Orthodox Jews, they are leaving uh, Orthodox Judaism as it's apostasy. Zionism is coming up, which also the Orthodox Jews would uh, not look favorably upon because it's a secular movement. Mm. So in that context, it's it really feels for this uh, six Lubavitzer Rebbe who actually also because of the First World War had to relocate. So he, that's a person who lives in a time of great upheaval. He, f- mm. he really feels like the world's coming down on me, mm-hmm. right? So, so he he really thinks, okay, the coming of the Messiah must be very close, mm. and that's the, he starts to say that also. He starts to say like like the Messiah is almost here. Schneerson inherits a, like a very strong expectation that mm. the Messiah is almost there. Okay, Schneerson himself says. His first address as a rabbi, he says, we are the seventh generation now. And this is a generation when the Messiah will come. Oh, wow. So, mm. and when he says that, he's almost like kind of um, implying that maybe the sixth Lubavitcher rabbi actually was the Messiah. This strong messianic expectation, which he definitely did give more fuel to, is really present. And, and, and he infuses that with more energy, even. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's the context in which really like this messianic expectation and like the idea, oh, maybe Sneerson is the Messiah, yeah. really flourishes. Yep. The the setting was right when exactly. he came in. Uh, the folks were, were primed. And he's not the only false Messiah that has arisen, and nor will he be the last. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm really glad we have broken this into a two-part series. Today, we've been able to cover the, the rise of, of the Rebbe and the context in which he comes, which I think is really important. On our next program, we want to talk about the life and the beliefs of the Chabad movement today and what the Rebbe means to them and what they believe about the world and so forth. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for joining us on the Tove Podcast today. Pleasure. Yeah. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the Tove Podcast, you can find all those wherever you get your podcasts, including at lifeandmessiah.org. Just click on that Tove podcast tab on the top of the page. And I'll say if you're very interested in this topic about what the Hasidim believe and the different sects, uh, do see my uh, two-part interview with Jacob Gluck. You'll find it there on the Tove podcast. Until next time, shalom. Shalom.